Hey everybody, James Shannon here. Today's episode contains subjects that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. And I also want to say such topics include child abuse, which I ask you to report any suspected acts of child abuse. Also, if you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's one 800 Two seven three, eight two five five. My father was a highly functional alcoholic, uh, among other things. But and he believed in uh, short, sweet physical discipline. So he would just come in the house whenever it fit into his schedule. If you had done something wrong, and just you know go to swinging with whatever he felt like was called for in the moment. Not say a word, and then turn around and leave. And sometimes it would be days after, you know a gotten in trouble for whatever, you know, I had done whatever. So it was uh, a lot of guessing of what did I do? Like, what was that about? And I say what happened in this. And so it was just a lot of. Uh, Today on episode eight of Conversations with James Shannon, I will be talking to Kip Brooks about many of the experiences that he had throughout his life. And we start at the young age of eight years old where you'll hear how Kip felt about living and everything that happened to him as a young boy. And it really made me sad to hear his story. But Kip was able to overcome his past with abuse, child loss, and is now a great father. Speaking of fatherhood, there's a moment when we both get pretty emotional when we think about the times when we became fathers for the first time. So with that said, this is my conversation with Kip. Today, I will be talking to Kip Brooks. He is a certified trainer and master practitioner of neurolinguistic programming and holds certificates in mental and emotional release and hypnosis from the Association for Integrative Psychology. He is a John Maxwell certified speaker, sales trainer, and coach. Kip holds certificates in youth empowerment by Youth Max and Youth Max Plus. He is also certified by the Life Coach Training Institute and is trained and certified in neuroscience soul healing and healing touch kip brooks is a best-selling author certified international speaker and an empowerment and breakthrough coach and the co-founder of brooks empowerment academy along with his wife marina kip thank you for agreeing to have a conversation with me today oh absolutely james i really appreciate uh and honored to uh to have been invited (laughs) thank you for uh allowing me this opportunity Yeah, I mean, I invited you because your story, it's so important for people to hear. And I want the listeners to understand everything that you you went through. And so I want to begin with your childhood. I know you struggled with suicidal thoughts since the age of eight. What makes an eight-year-old think about ending their life? Or why were you thinking about it? You know, obviously, being that age, like I, I didn't know that someone could actually take their own life. Luckily, I was too naive. So... People often are asking me, what did that look like? So it's, you know, I was taught to say my prayers every night and prayers around that age turned to um, just, if you're up there, don't let me wake up tomorrow, you know, and that was it. And then, you know, I was older by the time I realized that there was even such a thing as suicide. But yeah, I was just quite sad uh, and just miserable, especially for an eight-year-old. Um, and a lot of it came from just uh, my parents owned their own business and it was quite unsuccessful. They didn't, they worked extremely hard, but they didn't really know how to run a business. You know, they never took any uh, business development courses or anything like that. They just showed up and worked themselves to death and they had a terrible relationship, <laughs> but neither one of them would leave the relationship because they didn't want to leave the business to the other one. So they just stayed and it was just toxic environment they both worked around the clock and so they were never home so i was home quite a bit by myself just in solitude for you know all around that age and younger and then my father was a highly functional alcoholic uh, among other things but and he believed in uh short sweet physical discipline so he would just come in the house whenever it fit into his schedule if he had done something wrong and just you know go to swinging 
with whatever he felt like was called for in a moment, not say a word and then turn around and leave. And sometimes it would be days after, you know, I'd gotten in trouble for whatever, you know, I had done whatever. So it was a, a lot of guessing of what did I do? Like, what was that about? And I say what happened in an instant. And so it was just a lot of, um, just not feeling safe or, you know, a stable home environment created a constant feeling of paranoia because it was just, you never knew when the door was going to blow open and here he came. And my mom was on the polar end of the spectrum and uh, didn't believe in physical violence or physical discipline in any form really. And, uh, but she would talk you into remorse and guilt. <laughs> uh, it was these long lectures. So I'd get one thing from her, you know, these like hours long lectures with recaps of every time I'd screwed up similar. And then my father would be on the other end of the spectrum and just like I say, come in. Uh, he was very anger driven. He had, you know, he had a lot of his own stuff going on. So it was just that. And then it was uh, never felt safe to, you know, like ask questions or self-express or any of that. So you know, just didn't really know how to handle all of that at that age. And I say, especially the being left alone part a lot. And then, I had a baby sister who was born when I was around seven and a half, seven and a half to eight. And we were left alone a lot with me to take care of her. And it was always like, I can't take care of myself. How do I take care of this baby? You know, uh, they weren't far away. Their business was right uh, you know, within a block. But, you know, as an eight-year-old child sitting there with an infant, that, uh, that seemed like 100 miles away. So Yeah, that's, that's a lot. So as far as kids, it was just the two of you, you and your sister? I had an older brother. He's uh, about four and a half, five years older than me. Uh, but he was either at work with my parents or at friends' houses. Uh, he played sports a little bit. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't around that much by that age. He was, you know, going into his teenage years. So, yeah, just different level of life, and, and just wasn't wasn't around that much. Were all three of you guys on the receiving end of the verbal and physical abuse from your parents? Yeah, was, uh, my brother, I saw him get, get a decent amount of the same stuff I was. There was actually an incident once where my uh, father came at me, you know, closed fist, swinging, and I was, you know, I, I believe I was eight, maybe nine, and I couldn't get him to stop. And, uh, but my brother humped in between us and I actually stopped or, you know, just told him to stop and he walked away. And from that moment, I remember thinking, I was like, okay, I, I have no value here. Like I'm not seen as an equal to anyone. And I remember sitting there for what seemed like forever, but it's probably, you know, only a minute or two and uh, just really taking on ownership of that belief that I didn't matter nearly as much as anyone else. And then uh, my dad would actually tell me quite often, and he didn't mean it the way I took it. I don't, you know, I don't believe as a parent, I, I really hope not that he, uh, he told me all the time, he's like, you were a mistake. He's like, your sister's the only one we ever wanted. And I was like, uh, and he had, um, he had actually been married before. So there was, I had, there's six of us that we know of, that we know of, but, uh, yeah, so I have two half brothers and a half sister and then my brother and my sister. And yeah, he would tell me all the time, your little sister's the only one we ever planned and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, as a kid, hearing that you were a mistake, it's like you take that as, you know, quite personal, or I did anyway. And uh, so it was all these little things like that that piled up. But there was a, there was definitely a totally different way. He was much softer. They both were much more involved in my sister's life, much softer with her. My brother had a little different life. Uh, and even friends of the family would make comments to me uh, growing up. They're like, wow, you really get treated different than the other two. Because um, my brother, you know, he, he was able to get away with more because he was quite a bit older. He could add more value to the household as far as, you know, helping them with their business, things like that. And then, of course, my sister was the only girl and the baby and, you know, their last child. So, And also, they were in a different place in their lives at that point. So my mom would be, you know, would volunteer with my sister's school and things like that. But no one actually ever said it. They sent me down and explained it to me. So I would see all this and, you know, uh, I wasn't even allowed to really play sports much. I played uh, soccer for uh, for two years, and I don't think my parents ever caught a single game, even when I was in the playoffs. But then I had to drop out of that. I had to drop out of martial arts, piano, all this other stuff, because they're like, it's it's just too big a headache. So the you know all that stuff piled up is I'm not worth it. Is you know what it basically boiled down to is how I took it as an eight, you know, seven, eight, nine year old. 
so young and you have children yourself, right? You got three of them, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the way you were raised and the things you've been through, has it had an impact on how you raise your kids now? Oh, tremendously. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's what I could say it was like the, uh, perfect super dad or whatever, <laughs> but definitely not. I screw up all the time. Uh, don't spend nearly enough, uh, quality time, but, uh, I get frustrated with them. You know, all the same stuff as any other parent, but it's definitely, um, it has made me more intentionally. One thing, uh, uh if I did anything at all, right. If any of my kids is I told them from the day they could understand it. And I would remind them all the time was you always have a right to ask me why. And it's like, whatever I tell you, you always have that right. And if I tell you because I said so, then you don't have to do it. <laughs> so I even gave him a note at one point. I was like, because if I can't give you a true reason, then I'm just copping out. And because of the, yeah, the one of the positive things about the way I was raised is I realized I wanted to be more intentional. And uh, I didn't ever want them to feel like they were brushed aside like I felt so many times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially when my, my oldest, uh, he's a few months away from being 13. But when he was turning eight, I started having all kinds of anxiety come up and different things. And then it dawned on me why. I was like, oh, man, I remember what I was like, what I was feeling when I was that age. And, you know, it caused me to definitely uh, do little check-ins with them in different ways and check in on what their uh, love strategy is and, you know, how I was showing up to that and everything else. And they're doing fantastic. You guys say I'm really proud of all of them. I mean, they're they're humans. They're having their own experience. They have, <laughs> they all have their flaws and their issues, but you know, I'm really proud with how we've, uh, we've done with them. That's awesome. Be- being a dad is one of the most amazing things for me. My mom, she, she gave me away when I was two and my dad was never in my life. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to be there for my kids and be a better parent to them than the ones I quote unquote had. So I, I'm glad that, that you guys are doing great with your kids. But speaking of children, I know you lost a child, right? Um, so that was in 2010. I had a daughter and yeah, she passed away shortly after birth. She had a birth defect that affects the formation of the brain. And we actually knew prenatally that if she survived, she survived birth, it, it, we wouldn't have, regardless, it was going to be a fatal outcome. And uh, so I had time to prep and, uh, you know, just get used to the idea. But that, um, uh, that woke me up a lot, you know, obviously, and in a lot of different ways. And I think now, you know, I've, uh, I was involved quite a bit with uh, different parent loss groups and, um, and especially as a father, cause there's not a whole lot of support out there for dads or really men in general. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, we're supposed to suck it up, right. And be the, uh, be the tough guy and handle it and uh, not have problems. And so uh, I did a lot of volunteer work for a long time. I know I'm still on call if it's, you know, when it's needed to add, it was just, it's really sad. I see a lot of people who went through uh, or, you know, have gone through child loss years before I did. And you talk to them now and, you know, whenever you bring up their, their child, they'll have a look in their eye where they, they relive that pain, like just for an instant, sometimes, uh, sometimes longer. But um, it's always in like the first emotion is some sort of like sadness, sorrow or pain, you know, there's something and the heart goes out to them because, um, you know, they might get to the, anyone who's ever lost child. My experience is everyone I've talked to says, you know, they, they love to talk about them and talk about them anytime because no one ever asked about the child you lost. You know, it's mm-hmm. taboo. And, uh, but whenever anybody asks me, it's like the first experience I have is like a, a joy and, and a pride and a gratitude because just the journey we have from her, like so much positive came out of it that by the time she actually did pass away, it's like I was, I'd already had like healing and closure from that. And I mean, there was, there was obviously still healing and closure to do beyond that. But, uh, it, there was just so much fulfillment because I got, I became very intentional with, uh, with her and then just how I started showing up in life as well. So it just opened it so much, but we signed her up to be an organ donor. And they, at the time there was, we were told that couldn't be done for numerous reasons. They, they had a laundry list, but the main reasons were, well, for one, the way the laws are written and her condition kind of falls in this gray area because it's a very rare condition. They didn't know much about it. So they've never studied it. And they're like, we just kind of, it gets looped in this gray area, even though there's like nothing that was wrong with her could be passed on or anything like that. 
she's just a real odd little. Well, I learned a lot about how laws are, and you know, I don't ever want the job of having to write one. <laughs> uh, but at the time, I really didn't understand. I was like, "This is stupid. I'm trying to help you save other people and keep them from feeling what I'm going through." You know, and uh, so I was hard headed and just kept knocking down doors, looking for other options. And then the uh, the second thing was it was a huge block for us was there was no protocol at that time for organ donation for a child that young for infant to toddler age and they always figured it was too taboo and then but they never told me that so I didn't know what I was up against I was just going looking for help <laughs> and uh, through all that they ended up there's a protocol now for organ donation of uh, children that young and you know toddler age and younger and actually the organ procurement organization that we worked with they actually headed up a lot of the trainings um, and got the movement going. And even they even trying to help the situation, they even discovered a, a fairly new technology at the time for liver cell regeneration and things. And it was huge overseas and they brought it here and got tons of funding for it and everything. And so, yeah, there was this huge shift in, in the world in the way of organ donation. And we were kind of at the forefront for the, uh, the ripple effect. And after seeing all that, um, for me, the, the biggest healing thing was I had a realization because obviously being as depressed and suicidal as I was at such a young age, there was a lot of deep rooted, you know, um, damaging beliefs and, uh, and a lot of stuff around self-worth. And after seeing everything that happened with her, I was like, it made sense to me. It, it, uh, I was like, I see exactly why she was brought into my life. And it was to wake me up and make me realize that every single life on this planet has value to add everyone yes. and especially me. And, uh, I was like, Whoa. and like, I just got chills again. Like every time I think about that moment where that click, I get just goosebumps everywhere. Cause it's just like everyone truly can make an impact can make the world better. Maybe it's, you know, making five people feel better or it's 5 billion people. I don't know, but it's like, we all have something. We all came here with something to add, and uh, and I made a choice from that moment. I was like, I'm I'm not going to allow this moment, her life, to go in vain. I was like, and to do that, I've got to quit letting my life go in vain, and it's time to step up and take it to another level. And that created a huge shift in everything about my life from that moment forward. And I owe it all to Skyler. So, yes, yeah, so true. Every life can provide some kind of life, even lives that on around as long as you would like them to be so I'm, I'm glad that you said that and then i know that you 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 had this moment where you had this gun to your head but you didn't pull the trigger because something happened right yeah i uh, am yeah. yeah i've had a uh, a few little aha moments in my life uh, yeah it's funny how we you know go through so many uh transformations throughout our life to get to where we are and yeah i was i was 14 so um so you know when i was I was eight. I didn't know suicide was a thing. And, um, but either way, it, somewhere around when I was like age 10, I had, um, my mother's father actually committed suicide. So then all of a sudden it was on my radar. Like I knew it was a thing, but by that time, you know, I said my sister had been in my life and she and I connected from pretty much the first moment we met. And, you know, I was always the person who could get her to stop crying when no one else could. And we just had this you know, different level of, uh, of a bond at, uh, especially when we were, you know, at that age. So I was very protective of her and always wanted to like keep people safe and help people take care of people, uh, even as a kid. And with her, it, I had this just belief and I said, like, well, if I'm not here, all this crap that's happening to me is going to get dumped on her. You know, all this like just head trash, everything. I just, you know, had this idea that like, God was out for me. And it's like, if I'm not here, uh, then it's, she's going to get in. I can't allow that to happen. Yeah. It's like, I'll, I'll stay around at least until I know she's strong enough to take care of herself. And then somewhere around age, uh, shortly after I turned 14, we had, we had moved that year, uh, a few weeks before my 14th birthday to a, you know, a couple hours away, new school district. I knew no one I had a funny accent compared to them. Uh, I was from the mountains and now I was living near the city, <laughs> all this stuff. And then I dislocated my knee like three or four days before school started. So I'm there with a big leg brace and crutches and 
just all this stuff. And, you know, it's puberty, it's everything. It was like the most awkward moment <laughs> time that I could have possibly gone through changing schools and everything else. And then we lived here for like two or th- two and a half months, something like that. And I went back home to visit a cousin for like two weeks and then came back to where my family was living, my parents were living. And I go to the house and there's no one there. And they had moved out. And they, we moved to a new house and, uh, or a different house than where we were living at a much crappier house. And uh, no one told me. So I spent the day like just roaming around town like a homeless person trying to what? figure out where we lived. And uh, they just forgot to tell me that we were moving. And finally, I uh, went to their work, found people, figured out where it was. And, uh, and it just, that was kind of like uh, just another little you know, dig at my self-esteem. I was like, wow, I, I matter so little that they can't even tell me we moved. And, um, and let's say, you know, they, who, they had all kinds of stuff going on in their life. So who knows what happened, but uh, it, that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me at that point. And so I went, I snuck down. I had this whole little plan of sneaking out of the house uh, late at night, sneak down to this, um, area near the uh, lake on this little cove that's uh where i was going to do it because again i wanted to be away from the house I wanted to protect everybody i didn't want them coming to find it or anything especially if i see my sister and then i uh sat there holding the gun and pulling the trigger and as i was squeezing it something inside clicked and i just got probably more angry than i've ever been in my life and it was just mad at the situation and that uh, and not mad at anyone at all in particular. It was just mad that someone could feel that lost, you know, that hopeless. And uh, I, something in me just sparked up. And it's like, this isn't right. And I was like, no one should feel this way. And especially a kid. And um, it's like, if I ever figure out how to make it out, it's like, I hear all these stories about people being happy and loving themselves and all this stuff. I was like, if I ever figure out how to get there, I'm going to spend the rest of my life helping others do the same, inspiring them somehow, you know, doing podcast interviews, doing whatever it takes. And then and I was it. And I packed up and I went home, snuck back in the house. And, uh, and that was it. Wish I could say I woke up the next day, you know, all happy, go lucky, having a <laughs> realization and a transformation like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge did. <laughs> but uh, it didn't, uh, it didn't quite happen that way. Cause you know, I still had a lot of baggage to deal with. And, and I was 14 and I was still in the same environment. I didn't know how to do what I wanted to do. You know, nothing about personal development at that, uh, at that age. I actually didn't learn about that for another dozen years or so. And um, so still uh, a whole lot of self-torment, you know, uh, over quite a few years. And then, um, uh, but yeah, finally one day woke up and realized, okay, what I'm doing is not right. Let's try something different. <laughs> I didn't know what that looked like, but I was like, well, I know what I'm doing that I don't like. Let's do the opposite of that and see where I end up. And it just kind of started that way. I know you did get there and now you are helping people. So how did you get from being that 14 year old kid that thought about ending it all to doing what you're doing today? And I know that the ride was bumpy. You know, you went through um, a divorce, the business, you was in at the jail, homeless. You, your, like I said, your story, we can talk for hours. It's so much. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a, uh, yeah, I wish I could say one of the jail stories or something like what, but it was all, you know, it was all little pieces that, um, mm. but I was in such a, I was buried, I buried myself so deep in my own, just negative, you know, self-limiting belief things or limiting self-beliefs. However you say that. And, uh, that it took quite a while of different things chipping away, you know, um, Cause I had teachers that were against me, but I had two or three different teachers show up throughout high school who actually saw that some wasn't right, but there was a human inside who needed love and had potential. And, but yeah, finally, um, as I was, um, I was in my late twenties, uh, well, mid twenties, I, you know, was, I, I was successful in the career I was in and I was doing okay. And then, um, but then, uh, my late twenties, I found out I was going to be a parent with uh with my oldest son Jaden, and that's when it like really started firing up it's like okay i've got to do I need to do something different i don't want to dress him up in the same baggage i've been carrying around in my life and then then but when it really truly hit was i was uh was the day after um it was the day after he was born and they were going to send him home from the hospital and it came in that morning you know he was born on um on medicaid we were 
as poor as we could be really at the time I was working three jobs and probably making like about twenty twenty one thousand dollars a year I uh, just couldn't get things together you know I had like I say so many self-worth issues still that I had to work out and uh that morning they're like oh great news you know baby boy's all super healthy uh doctor's gonna be here in a couple hours and you know he's gonna clear you You guys are going home today and you get to be a family and and usually that's like a really exciting moment for most parents and for me it was one of the scariest moments of my life because in the hospital we had heat (laughs) we had food and the baby had food you know it's uh could either nurse on mom or you know they had formula there we had diapers we had all that had no worries there going home we had none of that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I, and I didn't know how we we're going to get it. And uh, so I was terrified. I remember I had to go home because it was uh, it was late November. Winter had hit pretty early that year and it was quite cold out. And I had to run home to turn the heat on. And I stood there for a moment because I came face to face with this uh, monster who was a little piece of plastic thermostat, you know, and I went to turn it on and then my hand came back and I was like, I can't afford this. I was like, we'll just get a couple extra blankets or something. And it'll be fine. And then boom, I, uh, still gets me. <laughs> I, uh, I got real emotional right then. And then that anger kicked in of, but it was this time it was directed at me. I was like, for real, no way. I'm not going to, you know, neglect my child over a couple of dollars for a heating belt because that was the thing I didn't know. I was like, where's this money for the gas going to come from? And I uh, hadn't turned it on all year, you know, and just been uh, struggling. And it shifted right then. I was like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to live like this anymore. He deserves better. And it's like, he didn't ask to be here. I created this situation, but he didn't. And uh, I shakingly and <laughs> not just from the cold i uh, reached over and turned it on because it was actually uh the thermostat flatlined at 40 was as low as it would register and it was pegged below or that was the last number on it and it was below that it was about 36 degrees i could see my breath inside you know uh, it actually fogged up the lens me breathing on it as i went to turn it on and that's how cold it was and i remember hearing it kick on every day to this day when i hear a gas heater kick on you know a gas hvac unit whatever it's called um I, I go back to that moment. I remember that because it was just like, it was like uh, the first time I got locked up in a jail cell and I heard the door slam behind me. It's the same kind of effect. Yes. A little different, but it, you know, it just echoes a little different in your head. <laughs> and uh, I stood there for a moment. You know, I had some tears, uh, a lot of fear, some trembling. And I was like, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure it out. And then uh, I blew out of the door before I caved and turned it off and drove back up. I got him and I remember holding him in my arms and at the hospital while his mom was getting ready. And, you know, they say babies that young can't focus and they get it. You know, you look at their eyes and they're all kind of just distorted and foggy and defocused. And, and you know, they're looking all around the room, but they it might only happen for a split second. But to me in the moment, it felt like it was an hour. If he was looking all around and all of a sudden just, we made eye contact and he just stopped. And I swear his eyes focused and everything else. And, you know, it's probably all made up in my head. <laughs> I'm totally aware of that. But uh, right then, as soon as he did, like I couldn't look away if I wanted to. And I promised him right there. I said, I'll do everything in my power to make sure you have the tools and never end up like this. And uh, I was like, I promise you, I'm not going to be like this anymore. And I went to work. And yeah, uh, like 10 months later, I almost quadrupled that income. And and it just kept climbing after that. And uh, yeah, then it was was no looking back. It was, uh, yeah. An amazing transformation in that one. Uh, Kev, that's speaking to me. So I'm, I'm getting emotional because I can relate to it. At 19, I just got out of jail, met my daughter's mom, got pregnant. And then that moment you said that you had the hospital, the same exact thing. Like, I remember begging the nurses to let me take some diapers home. Some extra diapers. <laughs> uh, because, I know. slipped some in the bag, man. <laughs> right? right? I was jacking everything I could. <laughs> And then had that moment, I remember telling my daughter, she was a couple of weeks old. And I'm like, you have to be better than me because you can't live yeah. the same life. And I can't do this to you anymore. And I need to stop having fun in the streets. I'm 19. And I need to make a change. And that's why when you were telling that story, I, I was damn near in tears. Like, I get it. And so, whew, so now you're here helping people. Why, why do you think your story is important? Why do you think people need to hear it? That's, uh, you know, I, um, 
I do group coaching. I, work, I speak at seminars and things, and I work a lot of one-on-one with people. And now, uh, specifically, I work with uh, in a lot of you know with a lot of men and men's empowerment and transformation things like that. And um, it's uh, it's funny because you know everybody uh, just <laughs> everybody I ever work with, talk to, uh, or when I do mentorship and youth empowerment work with kids and things we all have this idea. It's, it's funny. Cause you know, we're told when we're younger that, you know, Oh, you're special. We're all special. You know, we, we all have something to give and all this. And it's funny because, and it's sad because we take ownership of it. We believe we're special, except for the places we tend to believe we're special is I'm the only one that has this problem. I'm the only one going through this crap, you know, and that side. And we really, as we grow up and we get battered and bruised a little bit uh, by the journey, we, we lose sight of what we, that true, special quality we have and uh you know whatever that is for each of us and um yeah whenever uh work with people they always come to us like oh. no one's gonna understand they're always kind of timid kind of telling me what's going on it's like look one thing i can promise you is i'll share a little bit of my story with you and once i do i i can tell you i've never met anyone who i believe it was as screwed up and lost as i was and uh, i was like maybe i will one day but still that person has possibility to say like we all do. But I said, if I can come out, overcome what I did and get through, because the hardest thing I ever had to do, and I'm, I know you can relate as well, James, is not like actually getting out of all that and changing everything. It was just believing that I could actually do it, that I could actually do it. You know, and uh, that it was possible for me. And uh, once I uh, figured that out, I was like, damn, Anyone can. And actually for a little while, it seemed like I started noticing pattern is because, you know, we get addicted to like, everybody wants a little bit of fame somehow. Unfortunately in our culture, unless we're like, you know, superstar athlete or a big time actor or something like that, like the the way most of us get our, our fame from our, you know, our credentials and our celebrity with our friends is by who went through the most crap. And we keep wanting to share our story. And then we relive it over and over. And I started noticing that in my own life. I was like, man, I, like there was something, there was a secondary gain for me being the guy in the group who could take the most crap from life. And I said, whoa, I shake that off, man. That's not, it's like, I've taken enough. I don't need any more. But it's, um, I guess like, you know, everybody has someone that loves them. It's like, uh, and, you know, most people, by the time they reach out to me, like they, they want to fix themselves. So it's like, okay, you coming to me shows that there's something in you that you know is there and you want to go get it. You may not know how, you may not even know exactly what it is, but you want to go after it and you know it's there. It's like, I never had that. It took so many people outside of me to kick my ass into actually waking up to it. So if I can pull it off and convince myself when I had decades of you know, limiting beliefs and programming, telling myself, I mean, I got to the point when I was a teenager, I wouldn't even walk by a mirror anymore because every time I did, I would just sit there and have a conversation of how much I hated the guy looking back at me and like actually scream and yell at it. And then it just got to the point where I would cower away from mirrors. And uh, so my hair was never taken care of. I always wore hats and stuff because it just, I didn't want to see a mirror. I hated, absolutely hated the person I saw. And, uh, now you know it's totally different but it's yes yeah, it's, it's like we all have a story it all inspires somewhere it's like don't build up all the scars i've had to over time and i've met people who have a story to make mine look like a day in the park uh, several friends who have stories that just blow me away that's the thing you know it's, it's we so often think that we're the only ones in our crap so no everybody's had their own experience of it and we've all had a tough life and there's beauty from it every single time. It's taught us something. Uh, told you at the, uh, before we jumped on the uh, podcast, it's like, I'll, sh- I'll share whatever. Because if it inspires one person to just not jump off the bridge or, you know, not run out on a kid or whatever, it's like, then I've, my work is done. You know, and uh, I, can be, uh, I can be proud and happy with the life I've lived if I can do that. Yeah, you, you, your story it it makes mine to me do like nothing. I'm like, wow, like if you know you inspired me. If he can get to the point that he's at today, then I wish I would have heard your story a long time ago. Then maybe I would have felt better about myself back then. So yeah, your story is amazing. Now I know you primarily help out men. Is there a reason why it's more men? Because I think you do men and your wife. She 
she helps the women out, right? Is that how you guys do it? Yeah, yeah. Um, we actually, um, like, I actually, it's funny because uh, actually, right now, I think I have more female clients than I do men. Even oh. though I, I say that, I, it's like I work with men, but but part of that is too. Actually, we do. Um, uh, we have a lot of techniques for like trauma release, phobias, and uh, PTSD things like that. And um, so we also together coach other coaches and certify them in those techniques so they can get all these breakthroughs with their clients that we do. And, but yeah, uh, I used to do, I used to do both. And then, um, just, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of women's empowerment coaches out there and there's a lot of amazing women coaches out there. And it's like there, and there are some amazing men's coaches, but as I kept growing and, you know, I have three boys and as they get at different levels in life and different ages, like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm really prepared to raise these guys. <laughs> and uh, so I kept focusing on uh, working on myself because I say, yeah, my, um, my father is not what I consider, you know, a, a healthy male role model. And I, the only male role models I had growing up were uh, alcoholics and drug addicts. And so, man, I, I need to do some more work on that and find out. Like, I have a lot of theories about whatever it is, but I want to actually understand what it means to be a true, healthy, masculine man. And um, especially now, you know, with there's so much talk about like toxic masculinity and all this stuff as if and, and it's gotten to the point where it's uh, like the two are exclusive. Like, oh, you're masculine. Oh, you're just toxic. I said, no, that's much crap. <laughs> it's wounded masculine. It's it, but the behavior can be toxic. Toxicity is not you know gender bias. It's not one or the other. Like, OK, you're feminine. You're good. You know, or anything like that. It's, it's like, yeah, their behavior is toxic. But the person is, themselves is not toxic. Right. Everyone in this world came in as a sweet, beautiful person, soul, child, boy, girl, whatever. And uh, say then things happened in their life. It made them believe that the way they behave, you know, in these toxic patterns, made them believe that the, that's an okay way to live. But it's, we all have the desire to want to do good and want to be good. It's just, you know, our perception of how to interact in the world has been scrambled somewhere along the lines you know, through you know, who knows what. But um, one of my favorite quotes, uh, so there's two different ones I heard that kind of say the same thing. And I uh, love them both. And I try to keep them in my head at all times because I used to be the world's greatest at holding a grudge and you know, judging others. right? And um, uh, Abraham Lincoln said, when I make my friend my enemy, do I destroy my enemy? Make, daggum, if I could say that right, it'd be awesome. <laughs> I said, when I uh, make my enemy my friend, do I not destroy my enemy? And I said, wow, that's a different way to look oh. at it. And then I heard uh, another one that several different people say it in so many different ways, but basically, if you knew everyone's story, you couldn't help but love them. When I first heard that, I was like, nah, man, some people are just jerks. <laughs> but then, I wasn't ready at the time. And then over the years, as I kept thinking about it, thinking about it, I said, you know what? If people knew me back then, like, how many teachers wrote me off and would just kick me out of class just as soon as I walked in because they saw my transcripts instead of seeing me. And, um, I said, man, and then finally a teacher one day told me I wasn't my transcripts. And, uh, he's like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not gonna allow you to accept this of yourself anymore. And it planted a little seed in me and it over the years, it turned into who I am now, I guess. But yeah, it, I started thinking about, it. I said, like, you know what? We all have a, someone who's a jerk in our story of life. And uh, but it made me think, it's like, well, if we all do, that means somewhere I'm probably the jerk in somebody else's story. <laughs> so maybe I should be nice to the jerk in mine. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm making exceptions for me being a jerk sometimes. And I know I have been. So it's really changed my perspective as I've grown up. And then, and then like I say, plus two, having kids, because let's face it, kids can be selfish little jerks sometimes too. And it's like, well, we still love them. And it's like, they're just that being them. You know, it's no one's truly against you. It's like, they're just for themselves. And they're trying to figure out, you know, we all have primal desire of self-protection and self-preservation and uh, it's in our core. And it's just, sometimes that shows up in uh, sometimes ways that are, you know, horrific and unimaginable, but somewhere deep inside, I believe every person, there's something where they wanted to do good. People think I'm crazy for that, but it's, you know, I'd rather go on believing that than believing that yeah, we're coming in this world evil from the get-go. Yeah, that's a, a good way to believe. And I love that you said that nobody's truly against you. They're just for themselves. 
your three boys, I saw that one of them, they're starting their own business, right? How's that going? Yeah. Oh, he's a champ. Yeah, he shows me up all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's my hero. Um, all three of them are uh, they they amaze me at just how different their personalities are and everything else. But he um he's taken so much of what I've preached to him over the years, and he really tries to live it out. So he has almost no fear. It seems like because he's launched a few businesses. He has sold cupcakes door to door. He's gone to flea markets and sold them. He's bought them. And flipped them like store bought ones, and then bought them and decorated them different, and then sold them. And then he's actually learned from my uh, my wife how to uh, how to create them from scratch. So then he was going around selling natural, organic, you know, <laughs> all this. But he's been on all ends of the the uh, baking cupcakes industry. And then, yeah, what else has he done? He created his own t-shirts for dads, and uh, has a uh, has a little online store with that. Then um, what else? he sold uh, a necklace with a boxing pendant for a while. He's just on and on. He's probably had six or seven businesses now um, since he was like 10. He's, he'll just get an idea and he does it. And uh, he has no fear in going after it. And uh, rolls with punches. He designed his first sales funnel a few weeks ago and uh, built it on ClickFunnels all himself. It was uh, it's really, been, yeah, yeah, he's, He's going to be okay. a beast, man. He, uh, he's, he's no joke. Uh, he's constantly coming to me. Hey, what about this? Can we do this? And I'm like, dude, I'm spending more time talking to you about your business. Than I'm actually <laughs> my I'm like, let me, let me handle t- paying the bills and then let's get back to that. But he's, yeah, he's, he's a pit bull. He's, he's not going to let up. Uh, he gets his eye on the prize and he goes after it. And I so say, he just has no fear in it. And, uh, I created a little monster with him, but, and then he coaches his uh, younger two all the time. I love it. Cause they, they kind of reject uh, my youngest one, especially he's uh he's like the Tasmanian devil with a brick for a head. As far as just hard headed, stubborn, he sets his mind to it. He's nothing's going to stop him either, but he doesn't want to listen to any of us, but he adores Jaden, my oldest. So I just, whatever I want Lincoln, my youngest to do, I just relate to Jaden and then Jaden tells him, and then he does it. So it's uh, Jaden's uh, my translator, and then he goes to them and he coaches the other two, and uh, it's it's pretty uh, pretty phenomenal. It's awesome. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Well, Kip, you sound like an amazing dad, a wonderful husband, and I'm so happy that you're helping people with healing themselves. But let me ask you: Are you happy today? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, funny uh when people ask that it's like wow, like i always check in automatically because uh there were times actually i was just talking to a, a mentoring coach of mine the other day and i was like you know the first time you asked me that i actually lied to you and i didn't realize i lied but uh but yeah you know my my kids were actually a blended family my middle one is technically uh my stepson and they get along better than i ever imagined they would you know, uh, when we first came together and then my uh, my wife and I, we have a solid relationship and we constantly are working at it and uh, working on ourselves, working on the relationship. And it's, so see the, the fruits of the labor of, you know, going through the work. And it's just like I tell clients when they come on, I'm like, if you, you got to be the one to put in the work, I'll, you know, I'll put the steps for you. But it's like, and as long as you do it, I'm telling you it pays off. And um, being able to say that and feel congruent and fully in integrity with us, man, it's, uh, it's awesome. I, I cast myself quite a bit um, getting uh, teary-eyed lately, you know, just in gratitude to think back. It's like, wow, you know, where I've been, it's like been homeless two different times, you know, been in jail, and it's like, man, sitting in that jail cell, the last place I ever thought I'd be in the world was where I am now, you know, and uh, when they locked that door, I didn't think I was ever going to see the light of day again. So you had to think all that and be here. You know, it, it's healing. It makes so. You know what? All of that was worthwhile, and I'd go through it again. I hope nobody ever goes through it, but I would totally go through it again to get here. It would have made it a thousand times easier to know this is where I was going to end up. You know, if I'd have known that then. But obviously, it takes something away from the journey. We're not supposed to know that. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a beautiful ride in so many ways. Damn, Kip, that. And I, I want to be mindful of your time, but what you just said, it again spoke to me because I don't know if this was true for you or any of your clients, but um, I've been homeless. I've been in jail. 
um, living through poverty. But I've always been ashamed to tell people like I don't want to be judged by it. But it's just like we, we were talking before we started. That's part of my story. That's who I am. I'm not afraid to speak on it now, but I was for so long. Was that true for you or is it true for any of your clients that you deal with? Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing, too, is uh, this is, is something else that brought me into uh, the men's work because I learned uh, quite a while back. It's like, well, women are naturally more fear driven. Men are naturally more shame driven. And uh, so, you know, women go into a into a parking lot late at night, like they're thinking about man, I could get attacked, all this, like it's going on in their unconscious and uh, all the time. And man, we don't really think of that, you know, a whole lot. And, um, you know, certain little shady dark areas, we perceive with a little caution, but it's like, talk to um, women, especially, you know, when I'm in a seminar or something, and you do a kind of take a poll of the room and, and almost every one of them will raise their hand saying that like within the last week, they feared for their life. Ask the same question to men in the room and like, maybe 10 of them say they have in a month, you know, and, um, but we are very shame driven. And, um, and it's because, you know, all the way back in the tribal days, we, um, we were taught like the tribe depends on us. You know, you've got to be a good enough hunter. You've got to be a good enough warrior, a good enough leader. Otherwise the tribe's going to, you know, it's going to be gone. And, um, so it's constantly this thing of wondering, am I being good enough? You know, was that good enough? And, um, and then that way of being, that way of thinking got passed down, you know, genealogically. And uh, obviously now, like, it's, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> like, if we make a mistake or we slip up, you know, it's, most of us are not at war. But um, few of us are actually hunting for survival. You know, I have plenty of friends who hunt, but they're not actually hunting for survival. It's more for, the, you know, the, the, the enjoyment of it or whatever and the uh, sport of it, as they say. But um yeah, we constantly, we, it's still in us at a, uh, a genetic, just buried into our DNA of wondering about being good enough. So for men, for us to get vulnerable and share things like that, like how do you go from, it's like, unless you were born homeless, it's like you started out better off than <laughs> being homeless. Right. So it's like, there's a, there's a failure there or as we, you know, we're taught to perceive it. So it triggers that of like, oh man, if people know, then they're going to think, you know, it's they're going to have a picture of me every time eating out of trash cans or, or whatever it is. And, and yeah, there's that shame because it's like, it's saying I'm not a real man or I'm not good enough as a man or, you know, whatever, some form of that. And it's like, no, not at all. It's like, if you got there and chose to stay there, that's a different conversation. Still doesn't mean you're, you know, a failure of mine. It's, I don't believe there's any failure. There's just feedback, but it's like, yeah, it's like, just cause you've been there. It's like the fact that you got out, that's what counts, you know, and it's, but we're not, say we're not really taught to look at it that way because we're also told, you know, don't brag on yourself. Nobody likes a braggart. Don't be arrogant. Don't be cocky. And it's like, ah, it's like, it, it, brag about where you come from. Don't do it in a way that puts down other people, but it's like, take ownership. It's, you know, if you're going to beat yourself up over the negatives, well, praise yourself 10 times as hard for the positives because that's where it matters. You know, that's the inspiration. And, and that underdog story of overcoming things like that that's what people pay attention to. You know, the uh, people who are born in to, uh, to wealth and then never really have any hardship. We can't 95%, 98% of the population can't connect to that because you know, we all have our struggles. And, uh, and when you have that story, it's like people don't have something to connect with. Yeah. We, uh, the best relationships are, uh, and followings and influence comes from sharing our scars or battle wounds. Well, Kib, I really thank you for sharing your story and your scars and even allowing me to, to, to share mine. I, I don't want to make it about me, but it, your story spoke so much to me. Oh, thank you for sharing, man. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's beautiful to, uh, to hear. There needs to be more of, more of that out there, just people being vulnerable, authentic, uh, authentic <laughs> and possibly being able to speak properly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely agree. If, if people wanted to, to learn more about you or find you, where can they go? I'm on uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, LinkedIn. All of them are uh, .com backslash Kip Brooks Coach or uh, brooksempowermentacademy.com. Yeah, reach out to us there as well. We have, so we're doing a, sending out a, a free mini uh, series training all about understanding, you know, baggage and uh, mental and emotional baggage, limiting beliefs, all that. Also um, would love to 
gift your audience. I'll, I'll get a link created. I'll get it sent to you. But we have um, 30 days to positive thinking um, to uh, to kind of go through and just completely reframe kind of how we look at the world. Like the, the whole, there's no failure. There's only feedback and uh, different things like that to uh, really change perspective of how we interact with the world. It's uh, it's phenomenal. Oh, wow. That's awesome, Kim. I appreciate it. I'll leave the links in everything. I'll leave that in the show notes for this episode as well. I appreciate you for that. I want to thank you again so much and I appreciate it and keep doing what you're doing. It We need a lot more people like you. So thank you. again. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, please keep uh, doing what you know. I love, uh, <laughs> love the impact you're making on the world. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's create some ripples. Yeah. Thank you, Kip, for sharing your story. Well, most of your story. I suggest everyone check out Kip Brooks. He has truly been through so much, and we didn't even get into everything that he has experienced. His story is really, really inspiring. You can find Kip at brooksempowermentacademy.com or just visit the show notes for this conversation at thejamesshannon.com slash eight. I have a cousin that I'm, I'm closer to her than any other relative besides my twin brother and my four kids. And I find it hard to talk to her about the child that she lost. So when Kip was talking about his, it's just something that, that was on my mind. And I'm sorry for everybody that had to experience something like that. Every time I think about that topic, it makes me think about my children. So Precious, Paris, and Zariah, and Jaden, I love you each so very much. And I'm just grateful to have you here with me. Join us next week for another conversation where we will talk to a woman that found herself running from her problems but decided to stop running. I want to thank you all again for listening to Conversations with James Shannon. Kip Brooks is right. We all have someone that is a jerk in our story. Do you ever wish that you can tell that person how much of a jerk they are but you don't want to deal with their reaction? What if I told you there is a way to deliver a message to whoever you want without them ever knowing that it came from you? That's right. You can visit anonymousinterventions.com right now and submit a message to whoever you feel needs to hear what you have to say. I use it to send a message to several people already and I have a few more people on my list. Again, that's anonymousinterventions.com or just go to thejamesshannon.com slash AI. And oh, everything is 100% free. Start sending your messages now.